theories of the promised land uh, going through the book of Joshua, we've seen a whole bunch of different things that Joshua's had to walk through and that the people of Israel have had to walk through and scouting the promised land, seeing who's in it, what's going on, who are the enemies they face, and who are the threats that are against them. Uh, We've seen an angel of the Lord come and talk to Joshua and see if Uh, Joshua is actually on the Lord's side, not Joshua seeing if the Lord is on their side, but seeing if Joshua is on their side. We've seen uh, the Israelites be betrayed by the Gibeonites. We've seen all these different things. And now we're getting to this point of the story where Joshua and the Israelites are sort of like coming to a victorious stance where they're like, okay, we've gotten in our rhythm. We understand the things that God wants of us. We've fallen short, but we've learned from our mistakes. And now we are here to serve God in this battle. Uh, Because the thing that uh, I'm actually wanting to communicate uh, this weekend is that in our today's true promise is that our battles are actually God's battles. We might think that, oh yeah, no, God's on my side, like, uh, I'm good, I got this. But no, the true question is, isn't if God is on your side, but the true question is if you are on God's side, if you are doing things for God, or if you're just waiting for for God to do things for you, which is the lesson that the Israelites have had to learn all throughout this book of Joshua and all the different things that they've had to walk through and all the shortcomings and the highs and the lows. But this is what they've come to, that it's not about God being on their side because they can trust that our loving God is on their side, that our loving God is on our side, but it's whether or not we are on God's side. So uh, we're going to start off in Joshua 10, uh, 1 through 4, and I'm just going to start us off here just because there's a little bit of a, uh, it starts off in sort of like a, like a dark circumstance. Uh, things aren't looking good at the beginning of the chapter, but then we'll see how things go. So uh, verse 1 says, Now Adonai, Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than I, and all of its men were good fighters. So Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Yoham, king of Hebron, and Param, king of Jarmuth, and Japhiah, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. So already it's looking like the odds are sort of stacked against Joshua and the people of Israel because we see that their enemies are sort of all banding together and sort of like, I don't know if you guys are like, into comic books at all, but uh, Spider-Man, he goes up against this thing called the Sinister Six, and it's like all the bad guys that Spider-Man's ever faced coming together, and basically it's that, but the Canaanite version of that. (laughs) But So it's all the bad guys coming together to make sort of like this super bad force of enemies that are going to come against the people of Israel and the Gibeonites. And the odds are just stacked against them, and things really do not look good against them, because that is a powerful But the story doesn't end there because even though the odds are stacked against them, that does not determine the outcome already. 
What determines the outcome is what the people of Israel and the Gibeonites are going to do when they're faced with such opposition, when they're faced with such horrible chances that they have. Are they going to just simply lay down, give up, or are they actually going to persist and go step forward into the things that God has called them towards and the things that God has promised them? So, continuing on uh, in verses 5 through 11. It says, Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. So the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. So at this, we already see Joshua and the people of Israel doing something kind of crazy. Because in the previous chapter, like we saw the Gibeonites actually betray the Israelites. And so they, the Israelites made the Gibeonite servants in providing wood uh, and water for uh, the people of Israel. But the thing is, even despite the betrayal, Joshua and the Israelites could have been like, ah, they've betrayed us once before. It's not worth putting in all this effort to save them. But instead, no, there is forgiveness of the betrayal. And they are saying, no, we will do everything we can for you. It's Because it's almost like the people of Israel have learned from their shortcomings when they didn't listen to God and they betrayed God, and yet they saw that God had forgiven them. So it's almost as if they have learned from their relationship with God how they should treat those around them. So they have learned that if they have betrayed someone and were forgiven, they should also forgive someone who's betrayed them. So continuing on, it says, After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Haran, and cut them down all the way down to Ezekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Haran and Ezekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail that were killed by the sword of the Israelites. Already we see the, the Lord is fighting for the people of Israel. We see that he's throwing hailstones. I mean, I mean like, I've experienced hail, but like, to, for hailstones to kill, I mean, that's kind of crazy. So we already see a miracle, well, sort of a miracle, if you want to call it that, working as the Lord is fighting for Israel. He's done majority of the work for them. He's delivered their enemies into their hands. See, God is actually doing this because he cares about the people of Israel. He cares about uh, his, his people, his children. And we see that all of this happens because there is clear communication with God. There is communication in prayer. There is communication in listening to what God is saying and I've been up here a couple times and spoken about prayer, but we can see that prayer was a necessity in this situation. Our relationship with God was a necessity in this situation. So, what this brings us to is that our battles are actually God's battles because our battles affect those around us. God wanted the people of Israel to save the Gibeonites. He wanted the 
the people of Israel to have, find victory in this fight because the battle affected other people. It wasn't just Joshua or it wasn't just the Israelites, but it was actually the Gibeonites who had declared themselves as servants to the people of Israel. They'd sort of joined the family in a sense. And because their battles were actually affecting those people, God was like, so your battles are affecting other people. And I feel like that can be true in our lives because we have a lot of different battles that we face, whether it be in relationships or different conflicts that we have, or maybe it's an internal struggle, or maybe there is an issue that you're experiencing, or maybe there is an addiction or a habit or a hang-up or whatever it might be that's internal that might not directly affect someone. Like it could be a complete secret to the outside world that you're holding on to. But the thing is, it's still impacting those around you. Whatever it might be, if it, even if it's an internal struggle that people don't, aren't aware of, it's, in, it's affecting the ways that you are interacting with other people. It's affecting the ways that you are viewing other people. And then if it's also a conflict, that's directly impacting someone. Someone knows that there's a hurt, there's a tension between uh, maybe a family member, maybe a friend. And it's affecting other people. People are witnessing uh, maybe aggression, maybe sadness within you, maybe it's hurt, maybe people are seeing your pain. But at the end of the day, our battles can sometimes lead to other people hurting as well. So that is why our battles are God's battles, because he doesn't just care for one of us, he cares for all of us. And we see that in him sacrificing Jesus on the cross to rescue everyone, to save everyone from sin and death because he saw all of our struggles, all of our battles, all of our brokenness is a more important battle to fight than just holding on to his son. So he gave up Jesus so that we may find freedom. See, our battles affect those around us and that means that our battles affect the kingdom of God. If we are struggling, if we are hurting, if we are just hung up on all sorts of different conflict or maybe internal struggles, that means that we are not pursuing to build up the kingdom of God as best as we can. If we're hung up on all of these sort of details and tiny little snags in our master plans that we work up, then we're not actually working to build up the kingdom of God. We are working to fix our own problems. So that's why our battles are actually God's battles, because it affects those around us. So continuing on, it says that, woo, it says that on the day that the Lord gave the Amorites, oh, I think I said the Canaanites earlier, I meant the Amorites, over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, sun stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. Now the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day, and there had never been a day like it before since, or a day like it when the Lord took, took command or listened to a human. Uh, being, sh being Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. So that in itself is kind of crazy. That the sun would stand still and that the Lord would listen to a man, a human, 
to make the sun stand still. I mean, it can be debated however which way you want, what that means that the sun stood still, maybe time stopped, who knows. But all that matters is that the Lord was fighting for the people of Israel. He made the day longer, maybe, maybe some sort of daylight savings time effect. But anyways, the sun stood still. It extended the day so that the people of Israel could pursue the opportunity that the Lord had given them. And then it says right there at the very end that when Joshua returned with all of Israel to the camp at Gilgal, in my head, I interpret that as being like they had a clear victory. They did not lose many people. They did not have losses on their side, but maybe they had few casualties, but they had such a clear victory because all they had done was simply listen to God, made it about his battle, not their own battle, and pursued the things that the Lord wanted for them. So the question I have after that little bit is that who has your battle been affecting? It could either be a battle relationally, it could be a battle internally, it could be a battle in whichever way you're thinking. But no matter what, any sort of tension that we experience, it always is going to come up and sort of bubble up and affect people around us. So who has your battle been affecting? Because the thing is, the Lord has actually given us such wonderful opportunities to lift people up around us in prayer, to gather around people, to lift people up. Because he wants us to fight for each other. He wants us to support one another. And he wants us to, to mirror what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like, what a community of people who are loved by Jesus is supposed to look like. And he wants us to be able to take care of the people that our battles are affecting, whether we have a good relationship with them or not, whether we have to love them from a distance or we can love them nearby. He wants us to be able to care for the people that our battles affect. So, Continuing on, uh, Joshua 16 through 19, it says, Now that the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave of Makeda, when Joshua was told that the five kings had been found hiding in the cave of Makeda, he said, Roll large rocks up at the mouth of the cave and put some men there to guard it. But don't stop, pursue your enemies, and attack them from the rear, and don't let them reach their cities. For the Lord your God has given them into your hand. Because the, the Lord had told them that this battle is in their hands, that he had delivered their enemies to them. See, we aren't always waiting on God to do something, because it turns out, I think, I think a lot of us in our daily lives, we're just like, oh God, give me this opportunity. I'm just waiting for this right opportunity to open up. I'm waiting for this right thing to happen so that I can finally just get what I deserve, get what I need to progress in life, progress uh, in whatever means, financially, uh, relationally, whatever it might be. We're always waiting on some sort of big opportunity that the Lord is going to set at our feet. Or maybe we're having some sort of struggle or battle and we're waiting for the God to just part the clouds in, in the midst of the storm and show us the way. But the thing is, sometimes the Lord has already moved. He's already done his part. But instead, 
we don't recognize it because we're constantly thinking he's going to do everything for us. But the thing about God is that we're in a relationship with God, and a relationship goes two ways. He's going to do his part, but we have to make sure to do our part. We have to make sure that we're putting in effort as much as he is. Obviously, he's going to be doing a lot more than we are, but we have to respond to what he has done. We have to be attentive to what he is doing. We have to be able to pay attention to our surroundings and our circumstances to see where he might be moving, whether that might be paying attention to him in prayer, maybe that just be paying attention to uh, the physical surroundings or events of our life. We have to understand where our part is. So we're always, we expect God to show up, but God expects us to show up because it's a relationship. In every relationship, if one person's showing up and putting in effort and work, it's supposed to be that the other person shows up and puts effort and work. So the Lord already told Joshua, I have delivered them into your hands. The ball is in your court. Like you do with it what you wish now. You can either um, be bold and courageous and pursue the thing that I have delivered to you or you can be fearful and back away from the things that I've called you to do. And I feel like a lot of us, well, myself included, I can be waiting on the Lord to show up when truthfully, I'm actually just waiting so that I don't have to do the scary work of actually being intentional, of actually doing this little detail that's actually going to change a ton of things but it would change the way I'd live my life. Because for us to show up, we kind of wonder like, okay, what does that mean for us to show up in the situations that God has moved in? But turns out it's actually pretty simple. It's to respond to situations the way Jesus would respond to, G- to situations. Are we going to respond uh, in hate or ignorance? Or are we going to respond in love and hope and joy and peace? Are we going to step into a situation with just a burdened, uh, hurting heart? Or are we actually going to let go of some of those things and pursue the things that God has called us to and actually has set before us? Just we have to do the scary work of actually taking the steps toward it. Because I think most of the time we're always afraid of if we actually are going to do the things that God has called us to, how dramatically that's going to change our lives. But the thing is, no matter how dramatically it's going to change our lives, the Lord is always going to change it dramatically and radically in a good way, way that is pleasing to the Lord, in a way that is in the long run going to bring us peace, joy, love, and a closeness to him that we might not feel like we're experiencing right now. Because those steps that we take when we do show up are going to lead us into a closer relationship with God. He's always near, but it's always dependent on if we're going to turn and step towards. So, after that, Joshua and the Israelites, they defeated them completely, but a few survivors managed to reach their fortified cities. The whole army then returned safely to Joshua at the camp of Makeda, and no one uttered a word against the Israelites. Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me. So 
They brought the five kings out of the cave and the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. And they had brought these kings to Joshua, and he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with him, Come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. I don't know about you, but that seems kind of brutal to me. Um, that's just a small detail. Uh, but that's basically just a way that the people of the time would declare victory over a situation. They would say, we, you once had the power, but now we have the power in this situation. So if you see, think that's a little brutal, this whole chapter has sort of had this theme of brutality, of people being destroyed completely and no survivors and all of these things. And that is some of the, the, the conflicting emotion that people should probably feel about this chapter, just because we've been led to believe that God is a God of love and joy and peace and hope and all of these things, and he sent Jesus so that all may enter into the kingdom of God. And there is a little bit of a tension of, oh my goodness, like, this is a brutal chapter that the Lord has, I mean, some people debate that the Lord uh, led the Israelites to commit genocide. But the thing is, uh, I, I had this sort of wondering as well, so I looked into it. If you don't know what the Bible Project is, it's a wonderful resource. They make all sorts of different videos and things to sort of break down books of the Bible. But basically, to give you the short version, they did not commit genocide. I know it says, like, they left no survivors. They killed all of the people. They just destroyed everyone and committed all these atrocities. But the thing is, like... Uh, the way that they put it in the, the description of the chapter is that there's a lot of hyperbole used or dramatizations uh, to establish that this was just such a clear victory. And the, the fact that the Lord was also wanting to clear out all of the corruption and brokenness from the land because the people uh, who were inhabiting the land had committed all sorts of sin. They had done child sacrifice. They had done all sorts of awful things to people. And the Lord was wanting to establish that they had cleared out all of this terrible wrongdoing. Now, it doesn't mean that they actually killed like all the women and children and all these things, because we see later on in the chapters to come that there's actually people still living in these towns and that there's actually still cities like surviving and thriving. Well, living. Uh, but we see that God actually didn't have them kill all the people, because if he did have them kill all the people, they would all be gone, empty. But we actually see in Deuteronomy that there's rules against marrying Canaanites and all these things. Anyways, but the, all this to say is that the Lord cares about clearing out sin from our hearts, from our lives, and he did this physically in this land. So when God shows up for us, one of the ways in which we show up for God is working to clear out the sin that's in our lives, the struggles that we battle, uh, whether it be uh, a sin that's uh, directly affecting people, maybe it's a sin that you're keeping to yourself, whatever it might be, God is wanting to fight the battle of clearing that out. And it's not a battle of shame and guilt and hurt that you are going to be punished for. It's a battle that is going to declare victory in your life and bring freedom and joy and hope into your life. So, Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. 
This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you're going to fight. In all the battles that you're going to have, all of the different things that you're going to face, this is what the Lord's going to do. He's going to bring you freedom and victory. But most importantly, it's going to be his victory, not our own. So in that, I have another question for you. Where have you been waiting on God while in reality he has been waiting on you? Maybe the ball has been in your court for some time now and you've just been trying to think that, oh, no, no, I'm still just waiting on God. This isn't my turn. But in reality, you, you probably know that it is your turn to make a move because I think that's been the reality of most of the situations in my life. Me just like, okay, where's the door that I'm wanting? Where's the opportunity that I'm wanting that I don't actually need, but I'm just wanting when he's providing the door or the opportunity or whatever it might be to step into the things that we are needing, the things that are going to be beneficial for our lives in the long run, whether that be a close friend that has an open ear to receive confession from us, or maybe it's a friend with a prayerful heart that will lift you up in the midst of your battle, or maybe God's just wanting you to take the step of talking to him. Maybe you haven't prayed in a while. Maybe you haven't actually communicated with the God that loves you. But where has he been waiting on you? There's all sorts of different ways that we can look at that. There's all sorts of different ways that he could be waiting on us that we uh, feel like we're lost in. But it just depends. What's the move you're going to make? Are you going to actually step towards what he's wanting? Or are you going to continue to do what you're wanting? All right. Continuing on, uh, in the last few verses of the chapter, it says, Then Joshua, wait, sorry, that's not, that's not the right place. So Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills, and the mountain slopes. Together with all their kings, he left no survivors. He totally destroyed all who breathed. Again, heavy violence, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Joshua had subdued them from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza, and from the whole region of Goshen to Gibeon, all these kings in their lands, and Joshua conquered in one campaign, because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all of Israel to the camp of Gilgal. So one of the things that I think is like a small detail, but it's something good to note, is that in the midst of these battles, it says, just as the Lord commanded, and uh, the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel and brought them victory and all of these things. And actually, in the verses before this, it actually depicts all the, all the entire lists of battles that the people of Israel face. And at the, each, at the end of each one, it says, uh, and the Lord brought them victory here, and the Lord brought them victory here, and the Lord brought them victory here. And the important thing to note is that the people of Israel learned from their mistakes, that they had seen that what happened when they did not do exactly as the Lord said, that they fell short, that they faced loss. But when they give thanks to God, they give the Lord the credit, they actually see what can happen in their lives. They can see that the victories that will be won, the battles that will be won, when they simply give credit and thanks to God. See, this was a bunch of external battles and physical battles where people were going and fighting. 
But the thing is, the Lord was working through all of them on a spiritual level too. He was revealing to them what it means to actually have a closeness to God, to actually depend on him. So I've sort of brushed up on this like a few times, but our final point is that our battles are external and internal. There's going to be situations around us that are going to affect us, but then there's also all the situations inside us that are affecting our relationships with those around us and affecting our relationship with God. So our battles are external and internal. So the thing is, the, God actually gives us sort of descriptions of how to face our battles, how to fight our battles, if you will. And he describes this to us in Ephesians, or uh, it's described to us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18, where it's talking about putting on the armor of God. So I'll just read it out to you, and it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Put on the full army of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day the evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of, the, of truth buckled around your waist, know what is true, have it firmly strapped to you, know the truth of the Lord, know his goodness, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place, so know what is good, fight for what is righteous, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And with addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which an which you can extinguish all the flame of the arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I think one of my favorite ones there is the boots of readiness because it does imply that we're to put in the effort too. We are to fight our battles as well. God's going to do so much for us, but it's our part to do so much for God as well. Not to say that we're supposed to simply do works and to try to pursue heaven through doing things. But no, in a relationship, God's going to be providing us things and we're going to be doing things for God. No, it's going to be a relationship. We don't have to earn salvation. He's already given it to us. But what he's simply calling us to is a life filled with his spirit, with his joy, his peace, uh, and this life of making disciples of all nations. So, I think this brings us to our spiritual practice uh, of the week. And that's, I want you to try and evaluate the battlefield. The battlefield around you, whether it be conflicts or maybe just your life in general. And figure out how do you need to engage with God amidst the battle. Not to say engage as in fight, but engage and connect with him. How do you need to face your circumstances with God? How do you need to step towards the things around you with God? So I'm going to invite Shane and Abby back up on the stage for me. Uh, 
But I just want you to be thinking that. What are the situations around you that you feel uh, have the most brokenness? What are the situations around you that you feel like have the most hurt? Where do you feel like you haven't actually been stepping towards God in? Where do you feel like maybe you've just been fighting the battle on your own? Where do you feel like maybe you've just been making about yourself? When in reality, the battle you're fighting is God's battle. And he's just wanting to know He's already on your side, but he wants to know if you are going to be on his side. Are you going to continue to sort of hide the things that you're facing? Are you going to continue to see the things that God has done and be like, eh, I'm going to wait for the right opportunity to show up? Or are you going to take that kind of scary step towards him? So, I just wanted to leave you with a little bit of encouragement, though, in that in these battles, our battles that affect other people, our battles are also ones that don't have to be fought on our own. We push these things called small groups every single week. We push different ways to engage in community every single week. And I just want that to be a reality for you all. You don't have to walk through this life alone. There's very practical ways that you can face the world around you. So evaluate the battlefield. How do you need to engage with God? How do you need to call in reinforcements? Where do you need help? Where do you need backup? So I want to leave you with that. Maybe you can start evaluating on your own, but I'm just going to close this in prayer. Uh, and hopefully we can walk through this big question together. Where do we need to engage with God? How do we need to engage with God? And where do we need backup? So God, thank you so much for just this wonderful morning. Thank you that even though, uh, I mean, I'm feeling under the weather, maybe other people are feeling under the weather, that you are still good, that your goodness uh, still surrounds us, that you still fight for us in the ways that you fought for the people of Israel. It, that's that heart that you had for the people of Israel is the heart that you have for us. You see that we make mistakes. You see that we have our shortcomings, but you constantly forgive us through the grace of your son, Jesus. God, thank you for fighting for us uh, with the ultimate battle of sacrificing your son. God, thank you that we can walk in our life knowing that the battle has already been won that you've already done the heavy lifting, you've already done uh, the burdensome work of bringing out our salvation. So God, if some people here, or even myself, God, if we just need to rest in knowing that you've already brought us our salvation, that you have already defeated our enemy, God, just remind us of that and let us rest in that, knowing that we don't have to strive to find our victory, that we can find victory in you already. God, clarify in our hearts and in our minds who our battles are affecting, where maybe we're missing what you're doing and where you want us to step forward. And God, just reveal the ways in which we need to prepare for the battles that we face. God, remind us that our battles are your battles. 
that it's not all about us and what we can do, but it's more about you and what you have done and what are going to do. God, I pray that you be reminding us that we are loved in the midst of our battles, that we are not just loved, but we are appreciated and enjoyed by you deeply, God. That we don't have to strive for your love, that you have already freely given it. So God, we love you, we thank you, and in your name we pray.